Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the example that we see in Ludmilla. Someone who opens up her home for, for anybody just to, to minister to you on your behalf and to share your love and, and to be a conduit of someone who truly lets her actions speak loudly. And today, help us in our lives to take a look and, and to ask ourselves, are our actions speaking loudly and how can we do this in greater ways? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're starting a new series, and the focus is going to be on confronting our culture. And when it comes right down to it, our culture, I think in many ways, is, is struggling. You know, I shared last week a statistic which I found very alarming that, you know, 20 years ago, nearly two-thirds of our society was involved in a Christian church. And now that number is about one-third. That's a huge decline. That's, you know, tens of millions of people that have fallen away from Christian churches. And from my observation as I go through my life, what I see is this, that the further a culture is away from God, the more messed up the culture becomes. And what are we going to do about it? And we're discussing that these next six weeks, and today the focus is going to be on letting our actions speak loudly. I think we all want to be witnesses for Christ, and sometimes we're not sure what to say? Well, today my hope is to take some of the pressure off you. It's not so much, I don't think about what you say, it's about what do you do? How loudly do your actions speak? I was reading this article in Psychology Today, and it was talking about communication, that when we talk with somebody, that 55% of the communication process is your body language. 38% is the tone of your voice. That leaves only 7% focusing on what? The words you speak. Isn't that kind of wild? And think about this. that Let's say, for example, that your life is living in contradiction to the words you're speaking. What does that do to your words? It takes away the meaning of your words. And we live in a society of all these words and, and you know, all the technology we have is some amazing things. But I'm finding more and more that people are becoming isolated. And they're, they're hiding behind words so often that they tweet or they post or put out there. And, and so often the words they're putting out aren't even a reality of who they really are. And, you know, when you think about social media, for example, I just mentioned, you know, that 93% of the communication process is body language and inflection of voice. When you text or, or tweet or, you, can, you know, basically a lot of the true communication is lost in the process. And I believe that what this world so desperately needs more and more is the right kind of actions. And what's happening, I'm seeing more and more too, is our society is becoming more of a spectator society. Behind screens, watching other people's lives, following other people. The bottom line is there's only one life we can live and that's our own, not someone else's. There's only one being that I truly believe we should be following, and that's our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if we're truly following Him, the bottom line is we're going to be people of action. And today I want to talk about somebody of action. His name is Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. And here's a trivia question for you. How many words, if you look through Scripture, how many recorded words are there that Joseph spoke? Anybody know? Zero. Not a single word that he ever has said that was recorded in Scripture. 
But there's all kinds of action that he did. And I want to break down um, some of his actions and learn from his actions and kind of unpack his life so we can see from him how should actions be done in life. And the first thing I want to talk about is our actions should be seasoned with integrity. It says in Matthew chapter 1, 18 and 19, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now in that day and age, the engagement was equivalent to marriage. Okay, It's a contract. And so he's engaged, but really it's the same thing. He's, he's really you know, legally, so to speak, and spiritually married to Mary, but he finds something out. She is what? She's pregnant, and he knows he's not the father of this child-to-be. Imagine the anguish in his heart. Imagine the hurt that he's going through. Maybe think back in your life. Maybe, you know, a relationship you had. I think of my very first, um, you know, serious relationship when I was a sophomore in, in college. And the gal I was dating at the time, I, I had my, my future all set, okay? I was just, I just, like, way my mind thinks, I'm planning out my whole future, how many kids and what's going to happen. And she dumped me. And I, my whole world was turned upside down for a while. All my plans were dashed. And for a while, I was wondering, what's, you know, does my life have any hope anymore? And eventually I got over it, but it was painful. Now, what Joseph's going through is way beyond that. I mean, he loves Mary, and she's pregnant. Imagine what she's going through. She realized, okay, the, the child's from the Holy Spirit. And she'd go to Joseph, hey, Joseph, by the way, um, you know, you're not the father, but, but God is. Is he going to buy that one? Pretty tough situation, isn't it? And, but you see his actions. He's a man of integrity. He says he's a just man. He has every right in his broken heart to get back at her. In that day and age, if he would have exposed her publicly for being you know, guilty of adultery, what would the punishment have been possibly? Death by stoning. He could have gotten back at her, but no, he decides to quietly divorce her, to break off this marriage, to not mess up her reputation. That's a very just man. That's a man of integrity. Now, for those of you gals out there that are, are married, just imagine, you know, having, like even for Mary, she probably had this, this amazing husband. He didn't speak hardly at all. He listened really well. We're going to see he was a great listener, did all these amazing things. That's a dream husband, isn't it, gals out there? But the bottom line is he spoke so loudly with his, his actions. You know, think about your life. Think about the people that maybe have shown examples to you of integrity making really good choices. You know, I thought about my father this last week as I prepared for this. And my father was, is not a man of many words. He's a very quiet man. You know, if I have a five-minute conversation on the phone with him, that's a long conversation with him. He's not a talker, but he's an, he acts. He really is a man of integrity. I never have ever heard him say anything bad about anybody. And he had plenty of reasons to speak bad about people. He never did, never once. He always saw the, he sees the good in people. He never swore. You know, I've I seen him put a fish hook through his, his finger, and he said, oh, shucks. That's the closest I you know, saw him get to swearing. And he's always serving at church and just very generous. He was a school teacher, and just he loved the kids he served. A man of integrity. And I wonder, okay, where did he get that from? Obviously, his faith in God, but also his father was the same way. 
His father, you know, Grandpa Bjork, a very quiet man, but huge family. We had these huge family reunions, and we'd get together on the family farm up there, and, and we'd all be doing our thing, and whenever Grandpa Bjorgard spoke, everybody just shut up and listened. It's like the sage is speaking. We've got to listen to what he's going to say, because when he talked, his words had so much meaning, and the actions he did made his words even more powerful. So actions seasoned with integrity, such an important thing. The next thing is actions led by faith. We read on the text in chapter 1 of Matthew. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So he has this dream. An angel comes in the dream and, and probably brings great relief, okay? Um, you know, the, the Father is God. That, that what's con- conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. You're going to be a Savior of the world, God with us, Emmanuel. And I'm sure that's a great relief. But when you wake, anybody ever have like vivid dreams? And you wake up in the middle of the night and the morning, it's like, was that real or not? Ever happened to you? Kind of wonder, was Joseph thinking, I wonder, did I eat something, you know, goofy yesterday that caused me this dream or what? You know, he woke up right away. He knew the dream is from God. And the Old Testament talks about this in Joel chapter 2. It talks about how, you know, men and women will, will have dreams and, and prophesy and see visions. It's, it's in the scriptures. And he realizes this and he, he knows that God has spoken through that angel to him. He wakes up and he acts. He acts in faith. And it's going to be a, a challenging journey here. You know, number one, you know, he loves this woman. He's not going to be with her and consummate the marriage till many months later after the child is, is born. And then when she's nine months pregnant, you know, he's such a just man that, you know, the sense is being taken is for, in the Roman government, he has to go to Bethlehem. Imagine what a journey that was to, to take a nine-month pregnant woman almost 70 miles to, to Bethlehem on a donkey. Um, that's... It's a tough journey. And so, so often when we act in faith, we have to get outside of our comfort zone. And the challenge with this is so often in life, we want to be comfortable. We want an easy, comfortable life. But when it comes to the things of God, when we act in faith quite often, we have to get outside of that comfort zone. And we see that Joseph, he does that. You know, it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And that chapter 11 goes through some amazing stories of, of biblical people that acted in faith. It talks about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham. It goes on and talks about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. It talks about the judges and David and Samuel. And we're talking about these people thousands of years later because what they did was they acted in faith. We're not talking so much about their words as much about what they did. And something happens when we act in faith. In the worldly sense, anything we do in a worldly point of view, it's only temporary. But whatever we do, whatever actions we make in faith, guess how long they last? Forever. They have eternal significance. 
That's the beauty of living out our Christian life. That as we live out the Word of God, the things that we do and say ultimately have eternal significance. You know, one thing we want to really encourage this year in 2020 is for all of us to be growing in the Word of God. And over the last couple of weeks, I slowed down. It's hard for me to do that, but I slowed down. And I spent a lot of time going through the Bible Project. It's something we want to encourage you to take a look at. Great videos that go through Scripture and Word studies and done extremely well. And we have it online, or you can just go to thebibleproject.com. I spent a bunch of time going through them. I'm also going through the Through the Bible in a Year, the one that I put together last year. I'm going through it now as a participant myself, which is kind of interesting to um, have to go through my own material and watch my own videos um, with that. But it's just, you know, the more that I'm in the Word of God, the more I just find my life getting blessed the more I find myself wanting to get into action. And it's, there's three words we see a lot in Scripture. It's knowledge and understanding and wisdom. I talk about this a lot, but I think it's so important. Knowledge is in our mind. And yet we want to gain knowledge in our minds, and we've got knowledge pouring in all the time through all the different you know, things, ways we have to learn out there. But the bottom line is, people don't really care so much about how much you know until they know how much you care. And there's belief, which is in the heart. And it's great to believe the Word of God and to believe in Jesus, but a lot of times Christians may believe, but their life doesn't show it. And the biggest challenge in the world today are Christians who are becoming too worldly. We are called to be set apart from the world, and the way we're set apart goes into the third word, wisdom. Wisdom is taking the Word and living it out. You say, well, well Joseph had dreams. God showed him what to do. Well, we have what? Right here, folks, we have the Word of God. This is God's Word. And the key is to take these words and not just know them, not just believe them, but to live them out in our lives, which leads to actions of faith, which has eternal significance. And the last thing I want to talk about, actions that lead to serving others. In Matthew 2, 13 through 15, and by the way, before I begin, the section right before this is the encounter with the Magi, okay, as we now go through the Epiphany season. Trivia, how many wise men were there? We don't know. <laughs> we think three, maybe there's, there's three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh, but we don't know for sure. So even that hymn, We Three Kings of Orientar, we don't know for sure if that's completely um, accurate. Might be. Um, also, did they go to the stable when Jesus was born? The answer is no. In, in Matthew 2, 12, it talks about they went to the house where Mary and Joseph were staying. So after Jesus was born, eventually they rented a house and they were staying there. And that's where the Magi greeted them, okay? And something else too, we're going to see that, that Joseph and Mary, they're going to go to Egypt. How are they going to be able to pay for things there? You know, he, they didn't have a lot of money from what we've seen in Scripture. He probably wasn't able to be a, a carpenter per se um, in, in Egypt. How were they able to finance things? Because the wise men gave them what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, very valuable gifts that ultimately God provided what they needed before they, this dream takes place, which we're going to read about right now, from Matthew 2, 13 through 15. Now when they departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets out of Egypt, I called my son. So again, he has a dream, okay? Wakes up, 
in the dream he's told, Herod is going to kill Jesus unless you get out of town. What does he do? Gets up and he acts. Okay? And what he's doing, he's serving his wife, he's serving Jesus because of, this is a dangerous situation. Imagine, okay, Mary, get up right now. We got to get out of here now because they traveled at night. They got out of there. And he listened. What would have happened if Joseph had not taken Jesus to Egypt? What would have happened if they would have stayed in Bethlehem? What would have happened to Jesus? He would have been killed. All the baby boys in that whole region were murdered by Herod, who was demon-possessed. In fact, Revelation 12 talks about this, how Satan basically worked through Herod to try to block God's plan. And the point I want to make here is that even in this biblical narrative, God is working through people like Joseph. You know, I've been reading through Revelation, and, and in Revelation, it talks about how God's on the, the Father's on the throne, then there's Jesus, the Lamb, um, that was slain next to the throne, then there's the Holy Spirit, and there's the archangels, or the, the, the four living creatures, and there's the angels, and then there's the leaders of the churches, and then there's the people like us. And it's all linked together. That God has chosen to do His work through who? People like us. Another Joseph, for example, in the Old Testament, the Joseph who was the son of Jacob. Remember, he was sold in slavery by his brothers. He ends up in Egypt. Another person ends up in Egypt. And, and, and there, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and they collect plenty of, of crops during the plentiful years, followed by the famine. If he had not gone to Egypt, what would have happened to Jacob's family? They would starve to death. And Judah would have been killed. And through the line of Judah is the line of Jesus. So the line of Jesus would have been wiped out. God worked through Joseph. God works through people to do amazing things, actions that have eternal significance. And one last section here from a couple more dreams he has in the next part of Matthew 2. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead." And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city of Nazareth. So what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene again. He is serving Jesus. He's serving Mary. He's also serving us. Because of what he did, we're here today. Because Jesus lived. And he lived the perfect life. And he went to a cross to die. And to rise again. And to bring us a victory that we have. Which is why we're here on this day. Actions speak loudly. Especially when they're done in the name of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what our culture needs so desperately. And something we want to encourage each of us to be thinking about as we go in this new year, our actions speaking loud enough, how can we show forth even more godly actions in our lives? You know, so, you know I think about this congregation. And this is a, an amazing congregation of serving. And I, and I look around, and, and you know, there's some people here. Sometimes I see them they're here in the morning, they're here in the, in the evening. They serve, and they serve. And I can go around the room and just you know, make all kinds of reference to different things you're doing out there to serve. And your actions speak loudly to me and to all of us. 
But even as we go forward, church is changing as we know it. For centuries, people could set up churches and people's flock to churches. It's not working that way anymore. Churches are in decline all around as the percentage of people going to church declines more and more. We're back in the first century again. We're back like in the book of Acts. And there the whole thing is the Holy Spirit inspired people and told his church to do what? Go out. Connect with the community. And that's what we're going to be focusing a lot on here in the next year. And I talked briefly about some of the things that are coming up last week. And I think I created probably even more questions than I did answer them. And so I want to talk about, you know, what's going to happen as far as my involvement going forward. You're not going to be seeing me very much here on Sundays because I'm going to be out in the community. And I want to invite you to be a part of this too, in whatever way you can, especially through prayer. But even as, as there's ways you want to be involved in some of the things we'll be doing, we're all ears. And there's also a sheet for you to fill out. You can turn that in too. And if you just want to call me up and talk about, ask questions. But the first thing is we're working with a church in South Scottsdale called Holy Cross. It's on Hayden Road, a little bit north of Thomas. And I started working with this church a bit last year, and they're struggling. At the trajectory they're going at, probably in two or three years they'll be closing. But I began to work with them and seeing some positive progress, but our desire is to help this church become strong and become a real beacon even more in South Scottsdale. And so they have a Saturday service and a Sunday service. And so sometimes, for example, if you are you know, looking for something to do on a Saturday, come at 5 o'clock to church there. Check it out. Meet the people. Some of you have already done that. And I, that's great. Awesome if, if you want to do that. Um, pray for them. There's ways that you can serve them. I'm going to be putting things in the bulletin from week to week that we need. For example, right now, they've got a website. Guess who's doing their website right now? Me. And I'm terrible at websites, okay? I don't know hardly anything about it, but they have no one that can do it. And so trying to get them up and running. And so for the next six months, we are going to walk alongside of them and see if we can get them, you know, to a point of, of health to go forward, or there might possibly be an opportunity further for a merger down the road. We'll see. Whatever God leads to happen will happen. But they're great people, and it's a chance for us to, to help a church somewhere else that's, that's struggling. We are looking to start a mission church in, it's just south of Anthem, and it's going to be at a school. It's called North Valley Christian Academy, and it's a um, kindergarten, or no, sorry, preschool through high school, about over 400 kids. An area that's exploding as far as growth, as, as far as homes going in. And just a great location, great facility, great technology there for us to use. They basically have opened the place up for us to have a worship service on Sundays. And so we're looking for a launch team to help work with me to help launch this ministry and to get it going. doesn't mean you have to leave St. Mark, but some people actually are living up there in that area. They've told me already they want to be part of that plant in that way. But there's different ways to help with that. We're going to be doing an online church and... You know, James is going to be leading that charge. It's going to be in the summer that we're going to try to get this thing rolling. We have online sermons, worship services, and with that, we have access to the, you know, the world. And there'll be opportunities for us to minister to people through the, our online church. Once that's up and running, we're going to start in the fall what's called house churches. It was a big thing in the first century. A lot of your friends, you can ask them, will you go to my church? They'll say, no way. Will you come to my home? Sure. But now that we have access eventually to our sermons and our worship services, we can have services in houses using that technology, and we'll train you to do that. In fact, the training would start um, probably um, later spring and through the summer. But most of these will be done probably during the week, not on Sunday. Okay, I know, I know one church I'm working with in Michigan, they have over 60 people in their house churches in the last six months, and they meet on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. 
So that's another way to serve. And the last one I want to talk about is um, doing ministry and taking worship to nursing homes. I used to work in a nursing home, and it broke my heart how many people have no one coming to see them. But not just to have worship there, but to serve these people as they finish out their years on this planet. And these are just some ideas just to get started for this year. But I want to encourage you to pray, and maybe if you want to get involved in these areas, if you have questions, or maybe you have other ideas. But what this world so desperately needs are actions that speak loudly, to put God's Word into action. So I want us to pray for this direction, and pray for what God is leading you to do, and because what our culture needs, we see the example of Joseph, and ultimately Jesus, who fulfills them even more perfectly. Actions that are seasoned with integrity, actions that are done in faith, and actions that serve people because our God is all about love. And even Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do also for me. May God grant that we confront our society with actions. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the example that we see in Joseph, but ultimately the example we see in you. So often we live in a world of a lot of words, but what people need to see is action. Let it begin with each of us as we go further into this new year. Let this year 2020 be a year in which our actions speak loudly for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.